This week on a lively experiment, a new year brings new challenges to leaders in state and local government. What will be the major issues facing them in 2020? A lively experiment is generously underwritten by... For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen-White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Some of the reporters who will have a front row seat join us to offer their insights. They include Patrick Anderson, Statehouse reporter for the Providence Journal, Target 12 investigative reporter Steph Machado, and Scott McKay, political analyst for the public's radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first program for 2020, an election year that may influence some decisions between now and the fall. In Rhode Island, the General Assembly reconvenes next Tuesday, and lawmakers will be confronted with another large budget deficit, something that is not new, but no one ever seems to plan for. Patrick, I know this seems like Groundhog Day for you up at the State House. It seems like the governor, though, in some ways has kind of run out of the scoops. This is, you know, 200 million is not insignificant. So is that going to suck all the air out of the room? Well, she'll find she'll find something. She'll find some things to scoop. She'll find some revenue generators or some new ways to patch things together. Um, yeah, as as you said, this is an every year thing. It's it's not unexpected. There's no surprise that took money out of the budget. This is basically where you they expect it to come in each year, but she does have a tough time finding money to pay for any new things because the General Assembly is not warm to that, or a lot of things that, that she's doing and has ideas to do. So it's a question of whether there will be much new, whether there will be anything really exciting that has a chance, um, or any, any big ideas that could really move this year um, with the dynamics between the governor and the legislature and the resistance to have any new taxes uh, or, or raise existing taxes. And we've already heard the taxpayer-funded tuition CCRI expansion of the Promise program is probably going to be out for this year. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it's going to be difficult for the governor to get anything. Again, that's new spending, new programs. Um, but, you know, I don't like to make predictions. Because <laughs> um, we have she, tape and we can show you uh, whether you were right or not. <laughs> <laughs> she's likely to propose um, that again. Um, but, you know, whether or not the, the legislature is going to be willing to expand that at all is it doesn't seem very likely. Scotty, we're going to date ourselves. When you and I were back at the legislature, it seemed like it was a billion, two billion, three billion. Now we're up to 10 billion. And at some point, that's unsustainable. So you either got to cut or find new revenue. It is. There are ways to get some new revenue. The problem is, I don't know if the legislature is interested in doing it. Uh, a couple of easy things, I think, would be, first of all, legalize marijuana. Massachusetts is doing very well uh, harvesting a new revenue stream there. The other thing would be to finally do what, again, Massachusetts does, tax these big box stores and these fast food joints that don't offer health care to their workers. And what they do is they slough off this onto the taxpayers. So you've got middle class taxpayers paying for people like the Walmarts and the McDonald's and the people who don't insure their people for health care. And let's not shed any tears for these folks. They just got a huge federal tax break. 
and there's all kinds of lobbying on this issue, but it's not going to hurt small business because the governor, when she put it in last year, set the threshold at companies that have 300 employees or more, and there's not a lot of small business in Rhode Island that really fits into that But that category. got taken out of the budget. Right. It did, but I think if you're looking for revenue, that's a responsible way to do it that wouldn't hurt the average Rhode Islander at all. And, and the governor has said that she's not going to do the same thing that got cut out last year, but she's very cryptically said she's looking for another way to do basically the same thing to get at these kind of companies uh, and find some revenue to pay for Medicaid expenses. And, and we can't figure out exactly what that's going to be, but she's trying to find kind of a more politically and, and corporate friendly way to do it. And the pressure increases now, too, because the the, uh, the speaker's baby, the, the phase out of the car tax, that's another couple of hundred million, right? And remember the, the governor last year was kind of poked him in the eye saying, well, we're going to scale it back, but we'll bring it back. And that was a non-starter. So I assume it, at the very least, that's going to be in the budget, right? Yeah, she said that she's not going to monkey around with it like last year. Um, I mean, I don't think it's maybe entirely out of the question. She does some little thing, but, but, but basically that's going to be in there, the, the, the next step of that, that phase out. Um, but it does show you, I mean, we do, when we look at these $200 million deficits, you know, it's a deficit because of the choices that they're making each year. It's not a surprise. Um, and, and that has put that car tax phase out is putting a, a significant amount of pressure each year, each successive year on the budget. And you mentioned, Scott, legalizing marijuana, and you know we do expect the governor to put that in there, but we already know that it's basically dead on arrival at the state house, and what that means is that she's going to put it in there, uh, potentially, recreational marijuana, it's going to be a line item that's going to you know potentially raise $5 million, $6 million, and the legislature, if they don't do it, are going to have to figure out how to mask that as well. There's also a long-term issue here, and, and I don't know who wants to face this, but Lincoln Chafee tried, and he got slapped all around for doing it. It might be time to go back to one of his ideas, which was to lower the sales tax and broaden the bottom of it. Let's face it, we live in a society now where there are way more services than there are goods. You know, our sales tax is rooted Sometimes I think in the middle of the 20th century where, you know, it was all taxed on manufactured goods. And that just isn't what we have these days. We have a lot of services. But out then you there. get the lobbyists, the pet groomers, yes, the hairstylists. Yes, you do. That, I understand that. But that's but no they've way. Been, they've been, been kind of. That, yeah, yeah, they've been, except for the lowering part. <laughs> they've <Yeah>. been broadening <laughs> it a little bit in kind of sneaky ways each year, especially going after the Internet. And, yeah, but and, it's not based. Like the Netflix and the downloads. Sure, and, but it's not based on anything strategic or taking a big look at this. It's like the hospital stuff, which drives you crazy. The taxpayers are paying what, 60, 65% of all the hospital costs in the state. And yet, there's no accountability there. And the legislature, now we know the hospital people, they can't get their act together. And the legislature just won't step in on health policy here. And there should be a commission set up 
to take a look at the hospital system and just see how it works. If the taxpayers are going to finance all this stuff with Medicare, Medicaid, and everything else, uh, don't you think their representatives ought to have a say in how the money's spent? Steph, I think besides the budget, um, gun control is going to be a big issue because, you know, Speaker Matt Ayala comes from a fairly conservative district. Uh, The governor has been very vocal saying, I don't understand why we can't get these things through. So that sets up a little bit of a this going into the session, right? Yeah, and the governor actually, she told my colleague Kim Clunian in their year-end interview that that was her biggest regret of the year, was not getting an assault weapons ban and a high-capacity magazine ban through. She made another big push for it um, after the Parkland shooting last year, and it Again, I I actually remember because they changed the bill a little bit from the year before in their attempt to ban um, so-called assault weapons. And I actually remember asking the speaker's spokesman for a comment, and he just referred me to the one from the year before. So (laughs) Let's not waste any more paper. Yeah, and so I... I don't see him change. I don't see the Speaker or the Senate President necessarily changing their mind on assault weapons ban. They say this isn't solving the problem, you know, of you know people, um, you know, committing crimes um, with guns. Um, but I do think that last year a lot of the sort of progressive air was sort of taken up by the abortion rights um, bill and that fight. So I wonder if there'll be more attention on the gun bills this year um, than last year. And I also think that we might see some other much smaller gun control bills. Um, the ghost guns was something that passed the Senate last year, but not the House, which is basically when people are like 3D printing or buying parts and making their own guns, so then it's like it doesn't have a serial number and it's like untraceable. So I, you know, I think we could potentially see action on something smaller like that rather than the state banning assault weapons. The governor's biggest regret seems to be seasonal. Uh, you know, uh, guns. One day, the next, she told the Boston Globe Forum a few weeks back that her biggest regret was UHIP. That if she could have a do-over or a mulligan, as we say in golf, it would be dealing with UHIP. This gun control issue has become kind of as perennial. Oh, it's yeah. like the daffodils in April. It's like every year we have some permutation of this. And, and, and the thing that makes it really tricky is that so much of it, uh, so much of the politics revolves around what horrible things happen in, in the news. You know, Parkland did bring the, the, the biggest uh, bill passages on gun control here in a while. Now, they weren't huge but the red flag law and you know we could see something like that I think if there are if there are more tragedies but that's what I mean I think the the ghost gun and the 3d printed gun ban um, might get a little bit more attention um, from events like I think just this week there was a shooting in Pawtucket that might have been with a 3D printed gun. Um, but so that co- really drives the politics. But your colleague things. Brian Amaral had the story that the guy in Westerly lied. I mean, mm-hmm. so you look, you go toward the mental health. They're having issues with trying to get it off school property. I think everybody agrees if you've got mental issues, you shouldn't be able to get a gun. Well, the guy lied on the application. So that of and there's another issue of, of where the inf- how the information and who it goes right. to after right. they fill out the application. Does it just go to the local police chief, which in this case was just, I think, Richmond, um, mm-hmm. you know, not a very wide, you're not, you're not, not a very wide area. Right. And the guy's from Westerly. So um, I think there are also questions. That's another, another angle, another 
thing that's short of an assault weapons ban, something really huge like an assault weapons ban, but something they could do in response to some of this pressure for more gun control. I do think that on gun control, the governor has public opinion on her side, frankly. Oh, yeah. However, there is a vocal, well-financed minority uh, full of lobbyists, the Second Amendment uh, folks, and the gun companies and the NRA, what's left of it now, they're full of scandal, but nonetheless, they've got some very powerful lobbyists up there. Scott, Inclu- they've got the speaker. Former speaker. That's all you need. <laughs> Former Speaker, uh, of Murphy. course, Bill Murphy, and the man that was his top lieutenant, who's now Speaker, uh, Matt Yellow. So again, this vocal minority at the State House and the lobbying and the fact that it is an engaged community. Will you folks who cover the State House, this has happened for years, when there's a gun control bill up there, boy, that marble building is full oh, yeah. of people. They come out they of the come woodwork. Buses, they yes, come, yes, they do. They're very well organized. They are, and it's a, it looks like a grassroots thing. It may be an astroturf thing, but it is controversial, and it's hard sometimes for the public opinion to actually get through that kind of a lobbying uh, effort. You've got a couple of dynamics going on, Patrick. You have a front row seat for this on both days. The, the governor and the speaker, strained relationship. Well, now you have the Women's Caucus, which is, has had a big off-season, and then you have this political cooperative that is trying to take out some of the established Democrats. So I wonder, and Jeff Britt is still, that case is still lurking. So I wonder, yep. as we go into the session, the speaker's got kind of a lot of stuff coming at him, how that affects the session, or is that all just white noise to him? Well, I mean, there's a. In one sense, he's in a much better position than he was a year ago, uh, and that his chamber appears to be more solid. Having passed the abortion bill last year, he's he's gotten a major source of division uh, out of the House, uh, and there doesn't look like there's the same kind of. Um, effort to unseat him that there was last year. On the other hand, he's you know ramping up with the governor again. Um, and this time, I think the only new thing that you see in the governor versus speaker dynamic is you've actually got some court cases happening and some legal action, which is a, a new avenue for this. And you have things like on marijuana, the speaker almost uh, suggesting to people involved in the marijuana industry that they should sue uh, the governor over her policies. Um, so whether whether some of these things, whether the courts become another avenue is, is interesting. Also, this idea that the governor could get involved in the legislative races is something that she hasn't done before and is kind of it's difficult to see happening, but maybe it could. You know, maybe she could um, um, hold some fundraisers or throw a little money around for some of the candidates uh, who are trying to unseat. Friendly to her agenda. Yeah, friend, friendly to her. That would be a really interesting dynamic to see if it happens. I think in 2020, you'll see probably fewer uncontested races, you know, more candidates, but it's it's not it's not entirely clear that the incumbents will suffer more. Uh, I mean, a lot of them might might still prevail. Steph, you had a great uh, 12 on 12 long form piece on cannabis. And so since you've you done that in early December and the speaker has since come out and the Senate president DOA. But I wonder, there's like Patrick alluded to, there's the whole issue of the compassion centers, the licenses, who's going to have control yeah. over that. This is not an issue, even despite the legalization that's going away. It's going to be big in 2020. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, even though it's, you know, 
barring some major surprise, it seems like the legislature is not going to legalize recreational marijuana, but there's still a lot going on um, with cannabis in the state. Um, the marijuana dispensaries, for years and years, we've only had three of them here. They make millions and millions of dollars. People complain that they have um, essentially a monopoly over the market. It's the only place you can go to purchase marijuana in Rhode Island if you're a, a medical patient. Now the legislature has expanded it to nine. Um, the state's going to be starting to take applications at some point this year. They're at a half a million dollars a pop a for the licenses. A half a million dollars um, for, that's the annual licensing fee for a compassion center. So listen, they make tons of money. They can afford it, but the new, the existing ones, of course, but the complaint there is that it's a barrier to entry for like a small business owner who sure. wants to open a compassion center and doesn't have that kind of cash. You can't get a small business loan um, for a marijuana type business. And there's already a battle over this lottery system that the governor's proposed, essentially pulling it out of a hat so that there's no question of, you know, someone with political influence getting a license to open a marijuana dispensary. Um, uh, Speaker Mattiello and Senate President Ruggiero have already sort of said they don't think that her, that, fits what they passed. Um, there's all this, another fight about whether the compassion centers will be able to grow their own marijuana. The governor... A lot of moving parts. Yeah, there's just a lot going on that we're going to yeah. be talking about. And every state is still battling uh, the black market. You look at what's happened in Massachusetts even, and a lot of the state officials up Long there... Long lines, overpriced pot equals go to your own dealer. Well, right? that's certainly... Ha- yes, that's happening, and so maybe uh, the state isn't able to uh, harvest, excuse the word, uh, all of the tax revenues they want because people are still, as you say, growing their own or they're uh, availing themselves of some local black market dealer. And that's why the Raimondo administration has tried so hard to stop home growing, because it was only home growing in Rhode Island before the dispensaries opened. So there's already this flourishing market of people growing it at home for medical purposes, and they want that to go away because... They say because they want to get rid of the black market, but we all know that also it means that more tax revenue is going to come into the state. It's pretty hard to stop that, frankly. Yeah. I mean, how many state cops do you send to how many people's bank? And, yeah, and where if you have all these half-million-dollar licensed annual compassion centers, it, where does that leave legalization? Maybe not this year or next year, but a couple years down the, the line, if you have these mega-businesses yeah. and mega-corporations who are involved, does it then... <laughs> Uh, make it impossible to do more of a you know widespread small business operation. Yeah, and you have know. and you have the government government speaking with forked tongue, basically. Well, you know, if you say you got a bad back and you can find some doctor to tell you that, you can have as much marijuana as you want. But if you're going to grow your own marijuana over here in your backyard or in the back ten acres, you're a criminal. You can't do it. When you were doing that piece, just quickly, what surprised you the most? You, I mean, you covered everything from hemp to. I mean, I learned a lot that I didn't know when yeah. I saw the piece. And if you haven't watched it, folks, watch it. It's on uh, the, the WPRO WPRO website. What surprised you when you when you step back? Well, I think, and I, I wrote this for Ted's column that week in Nisi's notes um, that I was surprised by by how many people wouldn't talk to me 
I'm always surprised when people won't talk to me. I'm like, I'm doing a story about your bit about your industry. Why would you not want to bring me in? Give me a tour of your compassion center. Show me what you're doing. Show me why this is so great for customers. The one grower did. You had to go in the hazmat suit, but the the compassion center. (laughs) (laughs) Get in line, right? The cultivators um, are very much want to talk, I think, because they're trying to grow their businesses, but it was the dispensaries that would not. Uh, All three of them, I tried very hard to get them to talk to me, Um, give me a tour, do an interview. I think that, you know, stepping back, it made a lot of sense because they didn't apparently want to answer questions about their finances and their prices. They make a lot of money. They make a lot of money. Why come out? Why stick their neck out and and talk to the media? I, I always think it benefits someone to talk rather than not talk. Give us your... Give us your take. Give us your side. Give us your. Show us why you're a great you, business. You're way too practical. You're way too. I listen. Logic is only what it is. But um, I, I was surprised by that, and I think a lot of people were also surprised by the t- the testing. That there's no mandated testing for this medicine in Rhode Island, which um, is. Uh, hopefully are expected to change soon, but still uh, not a requirement. Just to close out the state house uh, thing before we move on to a couple other topics, this whole g- gas tax, the TCI with with the climate initiative, I think a lot of people are skeptical, like whose pocket is that going into? Is it really going to help? <laughs> is it going to help the earth or is it going to help balance the budget? Are you hearing any preliminary rumblings? The governor's talked about that, but I think there's going to be a strong pushback. Well, there's going to be a strong pushback, but I don't think the timing is this year. Um, the, all of the pushback has kind of suggested that it's moving faster than it is. The governor, who's uh, really the one instigating this on Rhode Island level with Charlie Baker in Massachusetts, uh, it really looks like she's not going to do much, if anything, this year, that it's next year, if at all, that there's going to be a push to get this passed in the legislature. But it's a, it's a really tough political uh, boulder to roll up the hill. You know, there, there's not a, a great, obvious coalition And the speaker has flat out said he doesn't think it's Right. I idea. mean, his whole thing is, is cars. And, I mean, he's got the motorcycle. <laughs> he's not going to be. That's not it. His what whole thing think, is against What do you think, Scott? Well, somebody's got to address this issue. The fact is, all of us drive cars that get higher gas mileage. So if you look at the future... Whether it's infrastructure or whether it's combating climate change, whatever you think you're going to use this money for, this revenue stream is declining. And over the long run, more people with electric cars, more people with better gas mileage. I'm not saying everybody drives a Prius, but I drive a car that gets maybe three times as much per gallon as I did 15 or 20 years ago. And I think that's pretty widespread. And if you are going to do something like this, there is a logic to doing it on a regional level. Yes, there as is. As opposed to, I mean, Rhode Island doing it alone. Yeah, you don't want to be an outlier because really, then you just go to right, Massachusetts. Exactly. Right. And you're not, if you're going to spend it on things like mass transit, you know, you want to go to Boston and New York with that, with, you know, trains or whatever the whatever you're spending it on, you know, not just in and around Rhode Island. So that there is some sense to the way they're looking at it. And everybody's looking at infrastructure. I mean, uh, Governor in Connecticut, you know, Ned Lamont has said that he wants to make that train commute from New Haven to Manhattan 30 minutes faster, and he wants to do it with tolls. And we all know when you bring up tolls, what happens in Rhode Island. Everybody is against every form of revenue increase in these times of anti-government fervor. But the fact is, at some point, you've got to pay for this and Twin River isn't going to be able to bring all the money here that we need. All right, let's uh, let's do outrageous. Then we have a couple other things to go to. Patrick, what do you have? 
Well, just to just to troll Scott, at least I've got to say the fake Christmas tree, even though we're past Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> even if it doesn't bother me personally, I just have to bring that one up. Um, and then a mini kudos to the to the General Assembly um, for it sounds like leaving the press where they were as they redid the House chamber. I think we're going to be back in our spot in front of the speaker. They were going to put you up against the wall? Yeah. Have there been some high-level negotiations to get you back? In the, I've uh, heard. The sources tell me there have been. Um, I, I is that so you can hear? Is that so you can hear Charlene Lima say, you're showing me up? Is that and you're close every, enough to be able to hear, hear that? all those we all those side view of the rostrum. Yeah, we got to hear all of those side channel uh, conversations going on. It's important. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, they've had a total rehab or refurbishing of the House and the Senate floor. So, Steph, what do you have? Outrage or kudo? I have a kudo, and it's to um, all, totally unrelated to Rhode Island, um, but all the folks who paid homage to my hero, Barbara Walters, on New Year's Eve. 2020. Um, we all know that this is 2020 that, that she's so well known for, and everyone was saying it and putting together videos, and ABC played a big video, um, and celebrities were, were um, sort of doing the, doing the Barbara Walters, and she's like a, just a hero in my world for women in journalism, and it was just such a great thing to have on New Year's Eve. I can't Eve, believe she's New 90, Year's Eve. Huh? Yeah, she's getting on in years and I'm I'm she hasn't been seen, you know, recently on TV or anything like that and so I those of us who have sort of worshiped her were just sort of happy to see her popping back up on New Year's Eve. What do you got, Scotty? You know, I'm really upset with the reaction of some of the firefighter unions in this state to some very tough and good reporting by my colleague tooting the public's radio's own horn here, uh, Lynn Arditi who's pointed out that some of these EMS folks uh, aren't trained very well, and there actually, there's been deaths resulting from the misplacement of tubes and people with cardiac events out there and ambulances. And I really think that there needs to be some new attitudes on the part of the firefighters where no, I know they're tight union guys, I know it's a tough fraternity, but these men and women do a lot of great things every day and they help a lot of people, but I think they should be less in their defensive crouch and more open to getting better training to make this situation better. And I really think that uh, the governor should make sure that she puts on the ambulance board uh, not people like Mayor Policina, who are just, in, again, in this defensive kind of critical manner, but more you know, emergency room doctors and more people, nurses, people who actually understand uh, what the stakes are here. All right. Uh, in the last couple of minutes, we, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Providence. Now, this is your new beat, Providence City. Not so new, yeah. but you filled you in when Dan yeah. McGowan Still left. Learning. And um, so it's an interesting dynamic because for the first time in a long time, the city council president seems to be like in federal witness protection. And I know Sabina Maddows, <laughs> she's, she's got a lot to navigate also like the speaker. But I wonder your thought, the relationship with Mayor Alorza, who now has his eye about thinking about for governor and the city council and what we can see because there are always financial issues in Providence and the budget won't come out until later this spring. But what's your 30,000 foot view on Providence? Yeah, I mean, they had this big battle last year. Um, There was a lot of what you could describe as sort of petty sniping, uh, personal attacks. And and as they fought over the budget, are we going to cut the commissioner's salary? Are we going to take out this job or demote this person? And so, you know, I think going into a new budget season, we're going to have to see whether they've managed to repair that relationship at all. And listen, I think the 
the mayor and the city council, you know, the, it's, it's separation of power, so they shouldn't be best friends necessarily, right? There should be a little bit of, I mean, they're supposed to check and balance each other, but I think it's diff, it's going to be difficult for the mayor to get any sort of new programs or, or spending that he wants in, um, and we're also going to be looking at uh, a potential complete overhaul of the Providence tax structure to something more progressive, which was um, furiously debated last year, did not make it through, but is going to be studied um, in the coming weeks. Well, you might say that President Matos is in federal witness protection, but that's certainly better than being indicted. (laughs) Well, it's all relatively... uh, Multiple city councilors have in recent years. I think the the problem is that Providence City Council still acts like 15 parish priests. They care more about their backyards than they do about the city as a whole. And that's a pretty serious problem. I think the best recent city council president was Mike Solomon. Frankly, when uh, Angel Tavares was mayor. And the one thing that while Solomon was good at representing the council's interests, he and the mayor never, never went after each other. And the two of them will tell you that they never woke up in the morning seeing something on her air or in the Providence Journal, or on our air, where they were surprised. All right, folks, I'm sorry that is all the time we have. We're off to a roaring start. Thank you so much, Steph. It's your inaugural uh, Lively. Thank you for coming. I hope to have you back. Scotty and Patrick, thank you so much. And a programming note, next week we have the leadership from the General Assembly, so we'll get their take on what's coming up in uh, in this year's session. Thank you for joining us. Join us back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.